Welcome to the Evolve Podcast, a podcast about disrupting your life to spark new evolution. Evolve your body, evolve your mind, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. And now it's time to disrupt. And we're live. Miles, what's up, with, what's up with this gas? What's what's gas uh, in Ohio? Like 10 bucks a gallon? Well, so a week ago, it was $3.79. And then I went there yesterday, and it was $4. It's shooting up. Yeah, so I told, T, I told my son, Tiago, I said, Dad's no longer your Uber driver. You gotta walk. <laughs> your bicycle is your Uber driver. Your bicycle. It's a small town. I shouldn't be shuttling him around anyway, especially yeah, was, with the weather being halfway decent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I was uh, I was driving home today and I thought, man, I got to go fill up tomorrow. And uh, the truck that I drive has a massive tank on it. And I'm not looking forward to that uh, gas bill. All of this crazy stuff going on in the world. You know, Ukraine is being invaded by Russia. We've got uh, gas prices going up. We um, have a war. There is yeah, literally war going on. Like I, for some reason, I don't know. I, I mean, I know I'm being naive, but you know, I always thought war was over. Like we were done. I did too. You know, and you and I have talked about this before. That uh, this this old school version of a war, countries invading countries, dropping bombs on each other. I I guess I I'm like you. I'm naive. I thought we had moved past this to where if we were going to do a war, we were going to do it in a more um, sophisticated way. We were going to uh, try and take down each other's economies, or we were going to fight. No, right? We we're going to do that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden, Putin says, "Nope, I'm coming in. I'm dropping the bombs," and he's going to war with Ukraine. What? What I, I think? I, it, and how cool is this podcast? Not to make this about us, but I'm going to make it about us for a second. <laughs> Part of the reason why we do this podcast is we love talking to interesting people. And a few weeks ago. We had an opportunity to meet and talk to Irina. That's right. That's who right. We'll be dropping her episode in a couple of weeks here. Uh, actually, before the episode that will this episode, and her family, she's been posting on Instagram, and I know you and I have both been messaging her our well wishes. But uh, for the past couple of days, she hasn't heard from her family because her uh, the hometown in Ukraine is being bombed and is a strategic area that Russia is trying to take over. And uh, I can only imagine what she's going through um, right now. What a horrible, horrible time. Um, know. You know, and, and I think that, um, like I said, uh, what, a, what a beautiful time to be able to be connected and to feel how small the world is. Because yeah. I think if this uh, would have happened two months ago, we would have known no one from the Ukraine. And we would have right. thought about this as, a, as a, an interesting and a sad situation but here we are we actually know somebody from ukraine and we're communicating with also what's happening also if i'm if i'm um correct this is one of the first wars that is totally um vulnerable to social media yes first social media war yeah where images are direct fighting is direct Yep. The politics of it is direct. And this is, you know, I was telling, Tiago said to me, um, 
last week uh, when the war started. She said He said one of the girls in his class was crying and he kind of thought it was absurd. And I told him, I said, first of all, you don't know where her family's from. Mm-hmm. And every war that I've been privy to, going back to Vietnam, I mean, I wasn't there for the start of the Vietnam War, but people get emotional and, and, and a lot of stress and anxiety when, when, when a war starts. And, you know, I told Tiago, I said, listen, you just, you, you don't know where family's from, you know, and this is very big. This is huge. This is his first war as a 13 year old. That's a good point. This is the yeah. first, when he, as he gets older, he'll say the first war that I was privy to was that started was Russia and Ukraine and American involvement. Yeah, yeah. You what know? an interesting so, thought. And I think you're right. It does bring up a lot of anxiety for people. Uh, yeah. We've had we've had a lot change in the world and there's a lot of anxiety and fear that's been yeah. out there. And I think a lot of times that makes people wonder how do they, how do they structure their life? It's certainly affected people's health over the past couple of years with the pandemic. And now we have yeah. uh, uh, the, the war and there's so many different things that are going on to where there's a significant amount of fear and anxiety. And one of the things yeah. that we've talked about and why we started this podcast is we wanted to bring a sense of, of uh, understanding and some information to people that would help them to continue to evolve. Because the reality is there's only so much you can do. Uh, to control that external world. But there's right. a lot that you can do to control what's happening internally. And there's a right. lot that you can do when you learn skills and you learn uh, knowledge that will help you to evolve as a person. And so evolution is really about growth. It's about development. But that happens by taking a step-by-step approach. And so it's right. a matter of how do we learn and we grow a little bit at a time. And I'm excited because tonight we've got somebody on the podcast who is a returning guest for us. In fact, she was in the top 10. She is in the top 10 still of our top 10 most downloaded episodes so far. <laughs> and uh, so we're excited to have her back on. And, and it's really a great story of personal evolution and growth. Somebody who I met when she was very young, I think back in high school. Yeah, uh, She was in high school. Is that right, Val? Yes, yes, yes. We're kicking way back. And now here you are, a mom and a uh, professional on many levels. And so we are we are super excited to be having uh, Val Luzvarni back with us tonight. Uh, And we're hoping that our guests are going to get a lot out of this conversation because we're going to do it a little bit different tonight. We're going to dig in a little bit deeper for our first episode that we did with Val. We uh, talked a lot about health and fitness basics. We told a little bit about her story. And now this is an opportunity to Val, for Val to come on and really flex her big brain that she has and uh, <laughs> share a little bit more with our guests. Uh, and with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast. Uh, joining me in Oberlin, Ohio, uh, is the most interesting man that I know, W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. I'm actually not in Oberlin anymore. I'm in a bunker in Ukraine. <laughs> you look like you're in your bunker, but you brought your same decorations with you. And in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Like I mentioned before, we are joined today by Valerie Lusvardi. Uh, Valerie is an IFBB pro uh, in the bikini division and a fitness coach. She's been coaching since 2016 
and has multiple certifications with N1 Education and Precision Nutrition. Val specializes in biomechanics, anatomy, and nutrition. She's also been fortunate to work with some of the best in the industry to help her to get to the place that she's at currently. When she's not in the gym or working with clients, she's busy with her three young boys, loves to travel with her husband to exotic locations, and when she says exotic, she truly means exotic. Some of these pictures are unbelievable. And Val, I'm going to butcher this. Most recently, <laughs> you went to where? The Seychelles. Seychelles. Yeah. Seychelles, Seychelles. We're going to have to say <laughs> that to butcher the Seychelles? How do you butcher uh, that? I don't know how to read. That's how... But everybody you, knows the Seychelles. All right, anyway, I don't know the Seychelles. Anyway, <laughs> Val's coaching philosophy stems from a place of internal health, and those changes uh, reflect outwardly. She cares deeply about her clients, and each program is specifically designed to meet her clients' needs. It's important to Valerie that her clients understand the basics of developing healthy habits and training smart. Val, once again, welcome to the podcast. Thank yeah. you. I'm so happy to be here. So happy. Thank yeah, you very we much. Yeah, we are excited. You are our first um, female returning guest, as we were talking about before. Ron, Ron Williams, another fitness uh, pro, was our first uh, male guest back. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're awesome. really excited to dig a little bit deeper with you because your episode still sits in the top 10 of the most downloaded. Um, <laughs> and so our, our listeners love you, and we want to dive deeper tonight. All right, before so, we go on, hold on. Before we go yeah. on, I got to say this. This is going to be a little corny. This is going to be really corny, but very funny. She sells seashells down by the Seychelles. Ooh. <laughs> it's you perfect. You took it and ran with it. <laughs> All right. For our listeners who don't know, where is where are the Seychelles? Because And for me, I don't know where the Seychelles are. They're off the coast of Africa. So on the Oh, east. this was your African trip. Okay. Yeah. I remember so, the pictures from that. Okay. Yeah, so we went to the Seychelles and then we went to Tanzania as well. Gotcha. Yeah. Beautiful trip, beautiful pictures. So well, when you're not traveling, you are coaching a lot of people and I want to dive into your thought process. And for our viewers who maybe don't have a, a broad understanding of training nutrition, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first episode because today we're going to get deeper. Val, you uh, write programs and you develop these programs for a wide variety of clients. What I want to know is how do you start? What is the, what's your initial process of getting started with writing a program for a client? Well, I'd like to do what like a call an onboarding call. So, well, first off, clients will fill out a consultation form. So I get um, a lot of questions that I need answered. And then we Which get I on. A out. That is really deep. You go yeah. through a lot of stuff in that questionnaire. <laughs> yeah. I, you, I made Great. you fill one of them out. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, and then from there, I get on a call and learn a little bit more about them, find out, you know, more details about their past dieting history, how they feel in regard to eating food, what they've done with training in the past. I just really try to dig a little bit deeper to find what, what it is they're trying to do and what their goals are and how I can help, um, facilitate those, those goals that they're looking to achieve. Cause oftentimes, um, my demographic de demographic is mostly women and they've done so many different diets or, um, 
programs in the past and haven't seen the results that they're looking for. And so what I try to do too is manage those expectations. I think with social media that a lot of people get this idea that they're going to get like the body of their dreams and in three or four months, you know, like a 12 week transformation. And that's not, that's not how it works. (laughs) And so, um, you know, just diving deeper with those initial calls. And then from there I structure their program and from the training to recovery, to nutrition. And then we, we go from there and just kind of evolves. Do you listen it would seem like based on what you just said, that if you get, if your demographic is mostly women and that these women have gone through so many incarnations of trying to train their bodies to lose weight, gain muscle. And and that there's also, by the time they get to you, that there's also this kind of level of frustration and resistance. Do you, do you hear those things when they're talking? You know, it's almost like this kind of you know, they're a little exasperated because you might be the last person that they're coming to before and they don't know that they are meeting with somebody who's actually about to help them. They don't know that yet. So they're bringing their history of frustration. Do you listen? Can you hear those things when you're talking to your, um, doing these these, these um, calls? Yes. Yes, I can. And I think too, it's nice. The majority of my clients too are referrals. And so whether okay. it's from friends or family or things, or they've been following me for years on Instagram. So they understand my philosophy and my approach. They've seen how I live this type of lifestyle, if you like to call it that. And so they know that there's a better way, but it can be scary. Um, a lot of these women have never tried to build muscle. They've always wanted to lose weight and they have this mindset of, you know, the scale, I would like to lose these last five pounds. I would like to lose 10 pounds. And they've never actually eaten, um, like eaten food to feel strong and focus on like, not, not being, in a diet, like it's this diet mindset mentality type of thing too. And so, um, the coming, I think when they come to me, it's kind of like a bit of a relief, like, Oh, she's, she's not going to like get mad at me if I eat over my macros or, Oh, she lets me have free meals where I don't have to worry about it. Or if there's some people, if they're not doing macro tracking, um, they, or that, you know, cause they don't understand macros or they've just had a bad history of getting too OCD with that stuff. Then it's just focusing on some basics. So it really is trying to figure out what is it that I can do to set you up for success? Because not everybody is going to be able to track macros. Not everybody is going mm. to want to eat three servings of vegetables a day or something like that. And so it's like, you start with just like one little change. What is it that we can do so that you can see that you can set a goal and accomplish it as little as it might be. And then we can build upon that. And so I found, yeah, like that's been, been kind of a fun thing is they're like, I'm finally feeling confident in myself. I've never actually eaten to feel strong, you know? So these, this, 
type of change in their dialogue or, you know, we pull out the scale or some people can use the scale as a tool and they they realize like, yeah, the weight, my weight went up, but I only got five hours of sleep last night because my toddler was up um, or I went out and had Mexican food and I ate all this sodium. So they start to realize like there's a reason for things to happen. And it's not like the end of the world because one, one bad day or one bad week or something like that. Yeah. And I know a lot of what you do focuses on building strength. And so I want to come back to diet, but I want to dig a little bit into the, um, the training programs. Talk about how you uh, teach our listeners a little bit about the concept of periodization and how you, how you cycle through different phases of a program. Yeah. Okay. So, um, a lot of people will do a program. Um, they'll get their training program and they'll just do it for years and you just kind of get in this routine of doing the same thing. And you every so often you'll feel like you hit a plateau and you try to figure out how you can work through it. And so a lot of people like the whole concept of a deload is where this comes into play is people will be like, Oh, well, I've been doing all this. So I'm just going to take a deload and a deload might be a full on break from the gym. That's one great way to have deload. Or they might be like, okay, well, I'm just going to do less volume this week. I'm going to lift lighter. But if you look at periodization, you can go and move between different training stimuli. And so you are essentially doing a deload, but you're just giving one of like your energy systems a break as you work on something else. So you could go from like a hypertrophy type of training program and then move into a metabolic program for a few weeks to help increase the nutrient partitioning. And when I say that word, um, that means like training in such a way that you can get nutrients to the muscles. So it's like, you're making that happen. And it's by doing that metabolic type of work and which people often associate that type of work of like, um, in like the contest prep world, if you're doing like a depletion workout, so it's, you know, more higher volume, short rest, getting a pump and things like that. And mm -hmm. so you do that for a few weeks and then you come, you can come back into that program that you had been in and, and then progress from there. And so that's, I think the period, like period, of, period I can't ever say that word. Periodization. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, that word. I think it's super awesome because you can, you can continue to focus on a goal, but you give yourself these opportunities to bring up other other systems within the body. And then you can go back, to, back to that goal. So it's not just like all of a sudden you come to a dead halt or you start to plateau and you just don't see progress for a while and you can't figure out anything, but just like dropping your reps or sets or whatever. Um, and I think social media brings up, you know, when, when you think about social media, one of the things that I think it's done in a positive way is it's given people a wide variety of exercises to do. But the downside of that is then you're focusing primarily just on the mechanical stress of the body. So, yes. um, and people talk about this a lot on uh, Instagram where it's like, oh, do this exercise for, for building a better butt or do this exercise. This is the best exercise for building shoulders. Well, when you're talking about an exercise, you're just primarily talking about the mechanical stress that you're putting on the body. So break down a little bit more. When you talked about training different ways for a different adaptation, 
dig a little bit deeper into that. So I know you mentioned hypertrophy before. When you're talking about hypertrophy, we're talking about muscle growth, which mechanical stress is part of that, but you're also stressing other systems in the body. So how do you, how do you start to determine what these cycles need to look like for your clients? I typically average in like a mechanical tension or hypertrophy type of training phase, four to six weeks is where I like to be. And I like to err on the side of a little bit shorter than longer, because I would rather be proactive to any issues that might arise than reactive. Um, cause things that can happen when you overtrain is you can start to see, you know, have digestive issues, sleep starts to go bad. Um, you get excessive soreness and there's also just like the idea of burnout or yeah. the concept of burnout that can happen too. And so, um, that's the typical time frame is about four to six weeks. Uh, you definitely, when you're doing metabolic work, you make those adaptations much more quickly than you do in strength-based or hypertrophy work. And so you don't want to spend as much, as much time doing a metabolic training block, um, for those reasons, you just make those adaptations really quickly. And I think going back to social media and the way that we look at training and watching people train, we just see the adjustments of nutrition and cardio, and we mm. don't ever see those adjustments of, um, tr like periodization and even getting into the concept. I don't know if we want to go here. You tell me progressive, like progressive overload. Oh is, yeah, for sure is another, like another thing too, because we often think of, okay, add, add more sets, add more reps, but there's lots of other ways that we can make progress within a training phase, um, than just the more sets, the more reps. And this so is something this... that you talked about a while back. I know that one of your coaches was just constantly yes. pushing to add more sets and reps. Yes. Yes. And I remember one day in the gym, we were talking and you said, I know this isn't right, that there's, there's more to it than sets and reps. And I think that took you down a different path. So talk yeah. a little bit more about progressive overload because, um, it, you know, doing 15 reps and then going to 30, um, it's not necessarily going to make you better. In fact, it could cause a lot of negative adaptations. I know you talked about the idea of overtraining and burnout, but, uh, over time that can affect the joint, uh, and it can affect a lot of the other soft tissue in a negative way. So how do you, how do you progress somebody's program without just adding more sets and reps? So one of my favorite things is tempo. I love to use tempo when I am writing programs for clients. And so it consists of four numbers. Um, the first number is what the like action of lengthening the muscle or the eccentric. The second number is holding in that lengthened position. The third number is the action of shortening the muscle or the concentric. And then that fourth number is holding in that short position. And so by utilizing tempo, it helps clients to maintain tension in the muscle, which helps with things like preventing injury. It makes yep. them, um, develop better. Like they get better coordination with the movement as well. Mm -hmm. And then of course, muscle growth. Like if you have more tension in the muscle that you're training, then it's a lot better than, you know, just grabbing a weight and like 
bicep curling and just kind of throwing it up and down really fast, little half reps. I mean, we see that too all over the place. That happens a lot, but if you have that control, then that's going to lead to a lot, like a host of really good things. So tempo is one great way. If you're doing more, um, focused on more muscle building, you may want to take like lengthen the amount of time it takes to do an eccentric. So you might go from three seconds to four seconds. Um, you might pause in the lengthen position. So those are some things that you can do to manipulate tempo. And then, um, another thing that I like to do is add more sets to failure. Mm. And so you might, and it's not every single exercise either. It, it might be just, you know, the core, like the core movements of that day that they're training, where I'll be like, okay, now we're going to take the last two sets to failure and see how that goes. And then, um, and so, yeah, failure is a fun thing to play with and then rest. So you can increase your rest, you can decrease your rest. And, you know, the, the more rest you add on, the more you're going to lean toward that, like, um, higher intensity tension-based work moving into like strength-based work. If you go on the shorter end and start to shorten your rest intervals, you're going to get into that more metabolic or pumpy work. And it's just, um, kind of like, it makes sense that as you shorten the amount of rest that you have, you won't be able to lift as heavy because you'll fatigue much more quickly than yeah. if you have longer systems rest. go quicker. Yeah. 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 For our listeners, could you be more specific? Well, well, I can't even say the word. Can you be more specific? Pacific? Pacific. Can you be more Pacific? Not Atlantic. Specific, not Atlantic. (laughs) (laughs) As to what, when you say metabolic training. So just so people can grasp an idea of what exactly that is, if you're using it as one of the training variables, so they can understand what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Okay. So when you're doing metabolic training, it's going to be more high volume. So higher reps, and it's going to be short rest intervals, which will lead to more of like a pump, like people, you hear this like concept of like people saying, Oh, like I can feel the burn. And so you're going to be feeling the burn when you're doing metabolic work. And that's like, it's really, really fun to do. Um, and that's kind of one of the problems is it's so fun. So many people do it. It's very, it is very addicting. Cause you get this like awesome bicep pump. You might see veins or whatever. And, but again, those adaptations that come from this metabolic pumpy work happen much qu- more quickly than if you were to do more of this lower volume, higher intensity training work, where you lift heavier and rest longer that, that is where a lot of the issues come into play. Um, cause that's getting like to the type of clientele that I have, they love to do the high fitness classes, the orange theory classes. And those are all of that pumpy type of explosive, yeah. you know, stuff. So you can do it. You just have to be mindful and make sure you're recovering enough. So, you know, I love how you talked about using it as one of the training variables, you know, you can have a client go so far in these other adaptations and then say, all right, we're going to take a week off and we're going to do this. Yes. It must throw them off. But what's really interesting about that is a a couple of um, ideas. It, it, to me, it's like 
I remember when I was a kid playing basketball and I'd get sick and I'd get sick and I wouldn't play for a week. And then I'd come back the following week and I couldn't miss. And I would always go, what is that? Like you, you take a break <laughs> and, and it's almost, it, it allows the other things that you've done to kind of catch up with you. Yes. You know, when you, when you're in it, you're training and you're not, you're in it and you step away from it. And when you come back to it, it's as if now you're using it yes. as opposed to trying to get it. Now you're using it. And that week off did that to you. Exactly. So I, I, I love how you incorporate metabolic training back into their regular training. And I'm sure you must have had clients who maybe you were slightly disappointed when you took them off their regular program. But then when they got back and they performed even better and the gains were quicker, then fell in love with you. It's like, like this woman knows exactly what she's doing. I want to give her more money. Oh, more, <laughs> money, more money, more money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's very cool because they, I do like my clients to keep a logbook. And when I say logbook, it's all online, it's digital. And so they're tracking their lifts. So when they come back to an exercise in like a hypertrophy program, they can see where they ended their, you know, where their top set was, how much weight they lifted, what their, their reps were. And then they can use that as a gauge so they can constantly challenge themselves because we can't just all continually add more weight. It sounds nice in theory, but you know, we, we just, that's not physically possible. (laughs) So sometimes, um, like progressive overload is literally just doing it better. So it may be like, what am I doing here? How can I improve on my form? Am I, you know, do I need to like, how's my tempo? And I just like improving and just thinking through everything. It's like, I just, I'm going to do it better. And so you don't necessarily need to add more or go faster or go harder. Sometimes you just do it better. So there's just, there's a lot of skill to it. And there's a lot of variables. And I like how you're, you're talking about the, the variables. Um, that can be changed. And I think a lot of the times we miss those variables in basic programming. Or if I'm just getting an exercise program or I'm paying for an app, um, you know, I, I could get a program, but that's not going to create this variability. It's not going to create progression. And you're talking a lot about the said principle here, the specific adaptation to impose demands. Because if I have a metabolic type program, I'm going to get metabolic adaptation. If I have a strength program, I'm going to develop more muscle density. Um, how do you determine, you know, this is a, this, so it's fascinating to me whenever I talk to another coach and they say, okay, this is my range of when I change the programs. Yeah. Because what I've watched over the years in my coaching, but then also how does my body adapt? My body adapts, uh, like you said, quicker to metabolic programs, even faster than it did when I was younger. What I used to adapt in three to four weeks, I now adapt to in about two and a half weeks. If I'm on a strength phase, I can sit in a strength phase with the same exercises for about three to four weeks if I don't change any exercise or any type of movement. Um, If I go beyond uh, six weeks of a strength phase with changing a few exercises here and there, um, I get drained and I've got to shift to another phase. How do you determine 
the changes that your client needs to make to go from one phase to the next? What is that biofeedback? What are some of those markers that you're looking at? Well, if a client hasn't really trained very much, they're not familiar with strength training, maybe they came from doing classes or things like that, then there's like their training age, you know, how good are they at contracting their muscle? And yeah. so that comes into play because they're going to need higher volume and they could stay in a program longer because they're just not as good at right. their, at, you know, moving whatever the muscle is, they're still learning. The other thing to take into consideration is how much muscle somebody has, because the more muscle you have, the more you need to recover as well. Like right. you, you know, like you were saying, like you can't stay in something as long as you used to. And that's, uh, I'm pretty sure like a buildup of, you know, more lean tissue that you have than when you were younger as well. And then that neurological efficiency, that ability to contract each muscle that comes into play. So I look at that, I take those things into consideration. And one, the, the one challenge as being an online coach is you have to watch videos of your clients and in order to know how good they are at what they do. <laughs> and yeah. so I like to get videos and I always ask for their failure sets. Cause I want to see what does failure look like to them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so see what they're doing, how hard they're pushing themselves. And, and then I challenge them on that, on that front. And then, um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. I just lost my train of thought. That's all right. So you're watching a lot of their, their, their There was something sets. else I was going to say. <laughs> well, we can, we can come back to it. But okay. I, I think that, I, th I think you make a few really good points. Did you points. feed those boys yet? <laughs> my boys back here. The boys, the boys ate, they ate her food. That's why did she lost her train of thought. In the, did you leave a pie in the oven? Should you yeah. leave us for a second and go check the house? <laughs> I'm like, what, what's happening over there? I think my husband has it all under control. <laughs> yeah, I think you you bring up a couple of really interesting points that I want our viewers to or listeners to make sure that they pick up on. Training age is a huge, huge thing. With the the longer somebody has done something, theoretically, the better they are at that. And I remember th watching these videos of top level bodybuilders, competitive bodybuilders, years ago, and they're curling weights or they are you know uh, benching with dumbbells, they're squatting with a certain weight that. Uh, you would see in normal gyms. They're not doing this, you know, extremely high weights and they're still getting these great pumps. And initially I thought to myself, ah, it's just because they're done, they're on drugs and they're, you know, they're pumping up with all this other stuff. What I learned over time is that the more efficient you become, you can actually play with things like tempo and you can become more efficient at doing that. And it takes less stimulus to get a better result because you're actually getting more stimulus because you're you're better your training age is longer and training age really doesn't necessarily even have anything to do with the number of years you've been working out because you might not be very skilled at it so i love how you talk about that you take training age into account and that you're looking at their uh their sets so walk people, walk our listeners through the key phases that you take your clients through. I know you talked about hypertrophy. You talked about metabolic. What are some of the other phases that you, that you take your clients through? The, the third main stimulus 
is going to be like neurological or strength-based work. And then there's different very like variables within these type of training stimuli. So I like to picture it on like a continuum. Mm -hmm. And this is what I learned from one of my mentors, Kasim Hansen is, so it's not like it's just broken up into these, you know, little, I don't know. It's not like (laughs) three separate buckets. Yeah. There's a continuum here and they kind of, they, they flex a bit. Yes. And so you can do some more, you know, metabolic hypertrophy work. You can get more on this end of the intensity, um, strength-based work, but a really, but when you do think of this continuum, if you're doing high intensity strength-based work and you need to do a deload, you're looking over here at the metabolic end and you're like, that's the furthest thing away. This is going to get me like completely deloaded from this stuff over here. If I go over here to metabolic work for a little bit. And so you kind of think of like, okay, where am I on this continuum of training stimuli? Where is going to make the most sense for me? How much food am I eating? Am I in, in a calorie deficit? Am I in a surplus or like those type of things as well? And so, yeah. Continuum makes all the difference in the world. And that's a newer concept Um, relatively. I mean, when I got into the game, nobody talked about the continuum. There were essentially four phases in Tudor Bumpa's original Bible of periodization, you know, there was endurance, there was strength, there was hypertrophy, and there was power. And you would go from one to the other. And oftentimes you'd say, go from strength to endurance. And so I would, I would take my clients early on in my career from like these, they're doing, you know, 10 sets of maybe three or four repetitions to develop their maximal strength. And then we would go from there with these like three to five minute rest periods. And then once they were finished with that, it's like, okay, now we're doing 30 reps. And I couldn't figure out why people hated me so much during that time (laughs) until I started to learn that there was a continuum of training that, uh, that you're talking about that, uh, Kasim teaches. Yeah. And so it's very, it's very helpful because everybody is going to come with you already or come to you, you know, as if they're going to work with you already with these adaptations. Like if you have, like, I've had some clients who are marathon runners and so they have very high endurance levels. And so they're probably not going to see as much um, progress out of metabolic work because they're so good at like with their cardiovascular health and things like that. So they, they might see more benefits and especially early on, um, in those strength-based or, you know, more, um, tension-based workouts. Um, and so that gives them their body a chance to kind of like deload those adaptations. And so they can become trainable in that type of programming again in the future. So the, the most ideal client is somebody who you could put in any type of training program and they'll make adaptations. But initially when they come to you, there's going to be something that, you know, they've been doing. And so that's another really crucial part of the onboarding is like, what kind of training have you been doing? How often are you training? Um, and then that helps me to make the best assessment on where to start them initially. And it's really fun when you can like hit it on the head and cause they think you're a magician. 
<laughs> like, how did you do that? You know, dropping six pounds right. in, in one week and eating 25% more food that's happened to a few clients before. And they're like, how did you do that? I'm like, well, you've been doing this type of training for the last five months. I brought you over here and gave you more food. Your body was really happy. That's exactly what it needed. So it doesn't always happen, but when it does, it's awesome. But there is science <laughs> behind it. Yeah. So we're always happy with more food now. That's- I know. <laughs> Everybody's happy with more food. I, that's what I say. I'm like, you guys should yeah. be so happy. I'm giving you more food. Like you're like, and I think that's the other thing too, that a lot of women like to have is this somebody being like, it's okay. Like it's okay right. to eat more food. Um, and this assurance of you're not going to, you're not going to get fat. That's, you know, that's never my intention as a, as a coach to, just shove food in somebody's mouth and get them all fat. And they're, I mean, they're so scared at first, but once they see like, Oh, you know, I, I don't need to train so hard all the time. I don't need to do all this cardio. Like I need to stop focusing on trying to like lose weight and just focus on just being and seeing how that transforms them is, is really cool. Steve and I were talking about that. We we were talking earlier about, how you get some trainers and they give these people these kind of cookie cardboard cutout, you know, like 1200 calories, you know, and then they would walk into like a real trainer and say, you know what, you could have 1800 calories and you can see them just, their eyes would just freak out. Yeah. Like, what like, are you, what? what are you talking about? I, I'm going to get fat. No, no. <laughs> and, and it's such a talk about making the program to, to they're getting their brains to tilt. And they're like, what are you telling me? I can eat more. Yes, you can eat more. And still, it's still early on would just say, I, I only had like 1300 calories. No, you can eat. <laughs> eat we are going to be training enough for the eat. You will burn it as fuel. Fuel will help you burn all these calories. You know, it was so yeah. interesting to see that, 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 that counterintuitive reaction from folks. <laughs> They're like, no, I can't, I can't eat that much food. I'm like, yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, the basics are the basics are the same. I mean, caloric intake, the balance of macronutrients. I mean, if you want to lose weight, you've got to you got to start with that foundational period, right? There's a there's a pyramid that that works, but what a lot of people don't understand is how all of these different factors pull together, and that that basic concept that some people might be under eating, and that's why they're not seeing any more changes because they have no more fuel to fuel the workouts. And it's yeah. through the workouts and through the muscle building that you're going to increase metabolic rate. And you're going to start to lose uh, body fat once you increase your muscle mass. And I wanted to talk, uh, Val, about your growth and your evolution over the years. I think when I met you uh, back in high school, you were the queen of cardio. And uh, last time you and I talked, you absolutely avoid cardio like the plague. Uh, if you can, right? And your your body, your body, your shape, your whole physique has changed and transformed dramatically over the past uh, decade plus uh, since you've really gotten into this and and put more time and focus into the strength training. So talk about your evolution where relative to uh, strength training and cardio and how you see those things playing out in somebody's personal growth and development. Yeah. I'm cause in high school, that was the thing. I just thought you run on the treadmill and you know, you try to limit the amount of food that you eat and that's how you're going to stay lean and tight. And, um, 
as, and then I realized I didn't really like that, that very, very much. And in my twenties, I was like, there's no way I will, you know, do that again. That's not fun. <laughs> so, I still, I still remember an interaction where I was showing you an exercise. Uh, you'd, you'd ask me about something and I was showing it to you and I was saying, well, lift as heavy as you can. That's going to build density in the muscle. And then you're like, uh, maybe I'll just start here. And you went to a lighter <laughs> weight. And that was a really common response for everybody, right? But I remember that. And now seeing you where you're at uh, at this stage of life and you are lifting heavy and you've totally transformed different perspective. It's really cool to see. Yeah. Well, it's, and again, it's this like weird thing that I used to think, you know, if you women that lift heavy weights are going to look like a man and that's like, it's just, I don't know why. And there's still that misconception among people today, but you know, when I look at, look at it now, it just seems so silly, but I, the last two years I, in my head, I would be like, I am like a bodybuilder. I'm like Brandon Curry, like in there and lifting heavy. <laughs> I don't look like Brandon Curry, but I lifted as Not heavy as I possibly could. And you know, this, I, I can only do what, what I can do based off of my genetics and my hormones. And I don't have all that testosterone that men do. And so that's, <laughs> You know, that's where it's kind of a little bit sad that I was so scared of this looking like a man thing, because it's just not, it's not physically possible unless you're, you know, very, very enhanced. And so. Well, talk a little bit about that. You did a post a while back talking about some of the changes that had happened with lifting heavy and what's happened over the past few years with your glute training developing your shoulders. And, you know, I don't think there's anybody out there that is going to look at uh, a woman and say that if their glutes have increased, that uh, they look like a man now. I think it's (laughs) the opposite of that, right? So talk a little (laughs) bit about the changes that you've seen, because you've seen some increase in glute size. You saw, um, you know, tell, tell our listeners about the changes in the glutes, the waistline and the shoulders, which are some of the key areas that you've been focusing on. Um, Cause you don't, you don't look more like a man, right? Good. I better not. Yeah. My goal <laughs> was to try to have more of like an hourglass shape. I was right. trying, cause I can only make my waist. So genetics, I can only make my waist is so small. Like there's nothing I can do to make it smaller. That's a genetic thing. But what I can't could do was bring up my upper back and my glutes to give me more shape, which is what I really wanted to do. So lifted heavy. I've eaten lots and lots of food. I've eaten when and most people don't want to do what I did either. I've, cause I've eaten when I was not hungry. <laughs> like I just kept eating because I had this goal of how much food I needed to eat each day. Yeah, some extra calories and force feed. Yep. Yes. And, and so currently I am about 14 weeks out from a show I'm competing in 14 weeks. And I just compared my data to the last time I went into competition season in 2019 And so, and my glutes are two inches bigger. My waist is the same size and my weight is 10 pounds heavier. I weigh 10 pounds more. And so that to me, I mean, I, I had, I heard negative things through the grapevine about things I was doing the last couple of years and people saying I was putting on body fat and stuff. But, um, that to me is like proof that if you eat and lift heavy and give yourself time, which is really, really hard that you can see significant change and you don't have to blame, like, you know, 
constantly blame genetics, which is what I would do. Like, Oh, I'm just not genetically blessed. Well, I haven't ever given myself time um, to, to do that. And I've been so scared of getting fat. Like I had that fear a few years ago, like, Oh, I'll get fat. And then I was like, you know what? Let's just see what happens. Just see what happens. Wait, wait, you said you put on two extra inches on the glutes? Two, yeah. For our female listeners, she's going to say that again. <laughs> say, <laughs> say it, it louder more. for the people say in the back. Say it loud. And say it loud. Go ahead, <laughs> Madam Luz Vardy, please. <laughs> so I uh, weigh 10 pounds more, but I have two inches more on my glutes and my waist is the same. Waste is the same size. Waste is the same size. I want to put that into perspective. It's interesting to hear you talk about that. Maybe there was some negative uh, feedback. I remember uh, Danielle and I ran into you at Snowbird last year in the summertime. You you guys, uh, we were up there wandering around. You guys had the kids up there playing around on the uh, little bounce houses. And it was great to chat for a minute. And as we walked away, Danielle said, gosh, she looks really good. And you were in part of your gaining and your bulking phase, right? Yes, near the but end. It wasn't, yes. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those things where we walked away and I was thinking, or Danielle was thinking, wow, Val was really put some weight on. The, it was just, I, I didn't even say anything as we walked away. She, Danielle just said, gosh, she looks really good. I mean, she looks really fit. She looks awesome. And I said, yeah, it's actually really cool because she's focusing on on bulking and putting more muscle on right now. And I think she's making some great progress. Um, So it's really cool to see this growth. And I think you hit something that is crucial for our listeners. Not only did you put on the 10 pounds, but your waist stayed the same, but you gotta give yourself time. And far too often people get caught up into this bullshit I'm going to lose this weight in, you know, four weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks. But this is stuff that takes time to build and shape the body that you want. I had somebody, uh, what was it, about a year and a half or so ago, I'd gotten down to a pretty lean point because I wanted to see how lean I could get before trying to, to uh, bulk up and put some weight on. And I had a couple of people come up to me and they're like, you look sickly. You look like Skeletor. Oh, your face, it's so gaunt and you shouldn't do this anymore. And I'm like, the hell with you. (laughs) I'm at one phase of where I want to be relative to my goal. So thanks, but you know, go away. It's my body. I'm going to do what I want to. And here I am a year later. I'm in a, uh, where I'm trimming back down after going through some bulking and putting on some size and building the strength. I don't think I look like a Skeletor and I'm at about the same body fat percentage that I was then. I just have more muscle now. And it took me a year to get to that point. But such a crucial piece that we look at this and we've got to say to ourselves, we're here on this planet for hopefully longer than 70, 80 years. What do you want to do with that body? Why just look at it in this short-term six to 12-week period of time? Because it's amazing what you can do when you take the time to get there. Now, Val, I want to shift just a little bit because you've alluded to this many times about eating more. And you've talked about how you uh, shift your client's diets relative to what their strength training is. Uh, 
Talk about where you start from a baseline standpoint. I think most of our female listeners have a fear of food. They have a fear of eating too much. And the standard thing is cut the calories, eat less. Um, but it's that that's just that's not all there is to it, right? So talk about where do you start? How do you pick where people need to begin? Um, it's a really good question. So I like to find out how much people are eating. And so I ask them if they don't know their macros, just ask them to track the food that they're eating for three days and they can write it down. They can send me pictures or if they, you know, if they know how to log stuff, then they can log it in and then give me the the information. And then I average the three days. And that gives me just a good starting point of how much food that they're eating. The other thing too, is I always say, please don't change up your food. I don't care what you're eating. I'm not, I'm not ever going to judge you for your food choices. So don't feel like you have to chips, everything. Yeah. Eat whatever it is that you're eating and we'll, we'll go from there. And, and then from there, um, if they're overeating, it's very easy to pull food down. Um, if they're under eating, then I will match their training to their nutrition. So I will usually increase their food quite a bit, like 20%, 15%, but I make sure I have their training to match so that their body is utilizing those extra calories in the most efficient way possible. And, and so that's how I start off with people. And it is, I don't just give them all this, um, and say, okay, we'll just talk next week with your check-in. Good luck. I I'm very detailed in how I explain it because I want people to really understand why am I doing this for you? What is the reasoning behind it? So you don't just think I'm some person that's like, just got something, you know, off of online or something. And it's like, this is something that's going to be good. Let's just see what happens with this. But I really, program, right. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. I really take like, I try to take everything into account and make the best decision um, based on the information they receive. So that's again, why I'm like, please don't like, don't fudge anything. I want you to do everything exactly the way you've been doing it. Because if all of a sudden you start eating like super clean and you're eating and, but you've been eating way less or more or whatever, like it will just throw everything off. Cause I just need to know what's happening right now. And so then from there, we just make those adjustments, um, you know, based off weekly feedback if we need to. So, but it's one of those things too, that as I've learned this and had more opportunities to do this, you know, I, I get better, which builds my confidence. So it makes it much easier to share stuff with clients, but there are times where I'm like, we're just, I want to try something with you. So let's have you do a midweek check-in and see what happens. Cause I think that this is going to work, but if it doesn't, I want to like get you out of here. And so I have this, like, um, I'm very open. I'm never going to be like, I'm always right. Um, you know, if there's something that I do or, you know, something with programming, there's usually like errors that I make when I write programs for clients and they'll be like, what does this mean? And, and I'm like, oh yeah, sorry, I'll fix that. Thanks for letting me know. So I just like to have that open dialogue because I'm a human and I make mistakes and I'm, I'm just doing my best, but I'm trying my hardest to make it the best experience for the client while helping them to reach, you know, those goals that they have set forth for themselves. So 
Okay, so I want to try something different with you because um, you know I value your perspective. You're you're a great coach, and um, instead of doing our normal rapid fire that we do, I want to try a different rapid fire with you. I want to throw out uh, a diet, and when I say these diets, I want you to give me a word or a phrase that you. How, what's your initial gut reaction? How would you oh. respond to this? Okay. Okay. Is that fair? Okay, let's see how this goes. <laughs> All right. So let's start with one that's very, very popular today. Keto. You need carbs. Don't eliminate a food group. <laughs> okay. Paleo. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair answer. Grapefruit. Grapefruit diet. <laughs> not healthy. <laughs> Just really, truly not healthy. There was a guy in the gym, a few, Ooh, there we go. Mediterranean. Oh yeah. That's good. Um, if there's clients with, with like digestive issues or something, they may go on more of a Mediterranean diet while they get their gut health in check. That happens. So, uh, pure Atkins diet. Again, don't eliminate food, like a macro you need all macros. They're all essential. Okay. Uh, a few years ago, there was a guy at the gym. I thought he was a nice guy. He would always talk to me. I thought it was a little weird. And then I thought he was like super weird because he went on this diet, the banana diet. I've never heard of, you only eat bananas? That's it. Bananas. As many as you can eat all day long. I was seems... just getting ready to say banana, but I meant it as a joke. I was just going to go banana diet. I had no, that... no idea it was a thing. Like, I don't I don't know how big of a thing it was, but this guy was committed to it for I don't know how long. And I just kept thinking, dude, you're crazy. It's like, I don't know, because anytime you do stuff like that, it's like diarrhea city or constipation city. Right. Like you're right. not okay. It's one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. It's either all coming out or it's all staying in. How about high a high fiber diet where you just eat clothing? <laughs> <laughs> what what about so Val Weight Watchers is a pretty popular program out there. What about Weight Watchers? I I like the idea of because it's essentially like macro counting, but I don't know a whole lot more about it other than they they assign points to food. So it's just yeah. with with all of these two with all of these named diets. Do they create sustainability? Does somebody want to do keto for the rest of their lives? Is that really something that people could do? Probably not. People want to eat cake on occasion right. or something, you know? So it, that's the biggest thing is what, what's going to be sustainable? Are you, is this diet of sorts going to be something that you can use for your life? Or is this something that you just feel is it's going to be a crutch? that you refer to when you want to lose body fat or whatever, something like that. So sustainability is, is key. Okay. I remember my first wife did um, weight watches and that was really funny to watch because you're right. They had signed points. So I remember she would get 22 points and then she would eat 22 points and it was 10 o'clock in the morning and she, <laughs> she was, she was done. She's like, She's like, well, I, yep. And so she would, you know, what obviously now? she would, she would cheat, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it, just to figure out like, can you get them assigned, you know, points, more points? And she was like, no, these are the points that I'm gonna look weight and lose weight. And I'm like, you're just starving yourself to death. 
because you can't balance take you know a portion of throughout the day. You know, you're done by noon, eleven o'clock. It was so funny that 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 um Weight Watchers diet. Yeah. So there's again, that's like education. So okay, you have points, but how are you balancing your meals? And do you know, yeah. you know, there's a little more to it than just, okay, you, as soon as you meet these points, you're done for the day for sure. Yeah. Like people are going to lose rapid weight loss if they follow that, but then that's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. It's kind of funny too. I mean, we, because I think all three of us have lived in this space of health and fitness, we can look at it we can break the science down and say, it's really silly. A lot of this stuff, we look at it and when we throw things out there, we laugh at it. But far too often, people who are not educated look at some of these things and say, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to do that. And they, they are laughable. I mean, this banana diet, the grapefruit diet, the whatever is promoted is so much garbage. And it's not just about weight loss, but it's about what are the other factors that are involved here? How do you feel? What's your mental health? What is your uh, your overall energy like? Do you are you building muscle? Are you losing muscle? I mean, so many times people go on these diets, they lose weight, which primarily includes losing some body fat and some muscle, and then they binge back up. When a fat cell has been starved for a long time, it wants nothing more than calories, and it will blow back up, but yeah. the muscle doesn't come back as quickly. And so this yo-yo dieting makes people heavier over time, which makes them feel horrible. Yeah. And so I, I think it's important for our listeners to take this away that, you know, as you're talking about all these factors that play into the training, it's the same thing with nutrition. There are so many other things rather than just weight loss that people have to take into, uh, into account. Well, Val, we're coming up on our time. So final question for you, not part of our rapid fire diet peppering uh, <laughs> questioning that we did for you. Uh, at Evolve, we believe that people truly evolve their lives by stacking one simple habit on top of another. It doesn't have to be hard, but you do have to be consistent at it. What is the most important habit that you would like for our listeners to build upon today? With... We'll talk on nutrition, just picking one simple thing they can do to improve their nutrient intake. If you don't eat any vegetables, eat one, like one vegetable a day or, or, you know, start, start small. If you're not eating very much protein, kind of just take a little self-assessment and have some protein of some sort. So just a little bit more whole foods, a little bit less processed foods, and just one little change at a time. It may be soda, maybe one less soda a day. So just trying to eat a little bit more healthy. Pretty amazing what that can do over time. I mean, if you get rid of one soda, one can of soda over the course of a year, you could lose for most people, probably about 10 to 12 pounds just from that caloric deficit in a year's time. That's so Not to mention... Right. That's huge. Not to mention the reduction in inflammation, your joints, your brain fog will go away. There's so many different things. I love, love, love that answer. Well, Val Vardy, thank you so much for coming on uh, a second time. I mean, I know we said this before. We're going to say it again. We'd love to have you back on another time because there are so many things we didn't tap into. Um, <laughs> 
you're you're always posting great content on your social media you're teaching proper form you're giving people uh just copious amounts of information relative to training properly eating healthy and living an overall balanced life if people want to follow you what's the best way for them to follow what you're doing and get in touch with you um, my Instagram handle is Valerie Lasbardi, just all one word. You can reach me there. My website is vavumvscfit.com. And so you can find out more information about my services through that. Awesome. And we will link all of that in our show notes. Well, Val Lusvardi, thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your information. We hope that our listeners uh, took some great things away from this and will really start to reframe how they think about their health and fitness. Uh, muscle is king. Build your strength. Eat a little bit more protein. Um, and remember that there's a lot of factors that go into living a healthy and strong life. Um, and remember folks that it does take time and consistency to evolve, but first you have to disrupt, but now it's time for you to get out there and evolve and evolve. Thank you for listening to the evolve podcast. If you like this episode, share it with your friends, follow us on Instagram at evolve underscore cast and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve.